number 27. How about us? Watch out. That's uh, divisible by nine. And I'm sure Tom and Brad are out saving the world somewhere and here. Yes. And John yeah. are here hosting a podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I saw them earlier. You did see them earlier? I'm, I'm Wade. I'm Wade Lindstrom. I saw them earlier. They were in tights and capes. Um, and they are out saving the world for sure. Not the Monday morning image I wanted to have. But thank you, Wade. You, you're always a good friend in times of turmoil. I uh, I try to bring you uh, up to date and interesting images. Very good. You've done a very good job with that. So, <laughs> so I don't know, man. Do we want to mention, talk about the event-filled week we all had last week or not? Or we just want to kind of blow over that and pretend that never happened? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> it got cold. Yeah. And you lost power and water at your house? Power, water, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I had intermittent power for a couple of days, and then it came on permanently Wednesday morning, super early, like 1.30 in the morning. And then we had water sometime Thursday. Man, this is rough stuff. I, I, mean, I, I All joking aside, like, we actually felt bad. Our, our water, we lost water pressure you know, a little bit for a couple of days. On Sunday yeah. night, as everything started, you know, the lights flickered just a little bit, but that was it. And so the whole time we're like, you know, reading on Facebook about everybody without power and, you know, this and that. We're like, kids, turn off all the lights and, you know, let's do the best we can, you know, to kind of, you know, preserve stuff. And, you know, don't tell anybody we got power. Don't, we're not, we don't want to sound like we're bragging or anything. It was just, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get the invite. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, you didn't have power. You didn't get it. I'm sorry. It was yeah. Like, you didn't get it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, did you send it over an electronic device? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Good idea. Oh Good idea. man. Oh man. I saw a, uh, several churches. I don't say a lot, but several that I saw uh, had to cancel Ash Wednesday. Uh, we were one of them. You yeah. one of them? Okay. And I saw several churches doing Ash Wednesday on Sunday. Did you do that? I didn't do Ash Wednesday on Sunday, although we, um, as far as like imposition of ashes or anything, but, but at the beginning of the service, we did acknowledge that and we had a prayer and some liturgy about that and then Lenten discipline and, and that kind of thing, just to make sure we didn't gloss over that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Since we so. had power, I did something here from the house. And so we were able to at least host something and, you know, people, uh, there were a good handful of people there you know, live as we did it. And afterwards, I think people joined in after it was over. And so we, we were able to do that. But, you know, this whole pandemic, you know, has been a big disruption. And of course, this weather pattern we had this past week was a big disruption. I don't think anybody was looking forward to. Uh, how do you, are you good with disruption? Do you handle that well? Um, yeah, I handle it well, because I just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> In the moment, I pretend it's not happening. So and everybody else around you appreciates that um i don't i don't know i i just sort of i sort of uh i'm a bit of a chameleon i take on whatever's going on around me and uh try to make people feel better about whatever's going on with them and it, it didn't really i mean honestly uh i was bored some with no power and i was cold a little bit but you know 
there was uh you know there were people a lot worse off than i was so um i didn't you know it was just a it was a little bit of a you know just annoying but it, i mean that, nothing was ever in danger i wasn't in peril or anything like that so it didn't seem like a really good thing to wring my hands about when did you decide to cancel ash wednesday how far uh, in advance or when, when do you how long do you wait to like make that final decision like that well, when the power wasn't on uh, Wednesday morning at the church, it hadn't been on at all. Um, that's when I decided. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I so, and I'm glad I did because I realized later that we had not, we hadn't, uh, we hadn't lit the boiler that heated that building. So um, it was like, <laughs> even if we had power, it wasn't going to be pretty. Yeah, our uh, AC system's a little weird. You have to, I don't know, there's a whole process and initiation that you have to do every time you want to turn on the heater. And uh, we hadn't done that. And yeah, that sanctuary was cold. So I'm glad we didn't do that either. Um, anyway, so Lord help us. Hopefully, I think that's the end of winter. If not, we may need to have some words with Father. Well, I mean, that was the winter of all winters. So um, whatever we get from here is not going to seem like winter, I think. Everybody was happy, you know, on Friday because it was 40 degrees. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Heat> wave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. So I'm, I'm in Austin right now, and it was seven degrees here. So Still? no, it was, oh, it was. not today. It's, it's beautiful today. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't realize anybody else was still cold. So, all right. So, uh, Wade, are you paying too much for your internet? I'm sure I am. <laughs> I am too, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> every month, like it gets higher and higher. I'm like, well, what's happening? I'm not, uh, I'm not changing anything. How uh, far would you go to protest your your internet, your slow internet in particular? Well, mine's not slow, so okay. I don't feel I don't feel like it's slow. So you got good internet. Uh, our kids complain about ours, but I have to remind them we've got like 18 devices connected to Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'm not even joking, man. There's iPad at, at the same time. Almost sometimes, you know the. Oh man, you're gonna have to get a you're gonna have to get a second internet address. Uh, Amazon, uh, uh, what is it? Alexa. There's a Google, whatever that is, and there's yes, and so it 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 it, it hampers our internet speed sometimes. Uh, and then you got school going all day long, and then you got podcasts. Yeah. Who even does that, right? So anyway, right. So California, man. 90-year-old California man was having slow internet issues. And 90? 90. 90 I'm just impressed that a 90-year-old guy's pissed about his <laughs> internet I'm speed. Sorry. That's amazing. So, well, wait until this is hilarious, actually. So he lives in uh, California, North Hollywood neighborhood. And uh -huh. he said his internet, uh, AT&T internet, was like watching a slideshow. I think that's hilarious <laughs> observation. There uh, was a time in his life where slideshow was cutting edge, man. <laughs> you remember making those in school? Did you ever do that? Oh, I got a funny story to tell you off air about that. Okay. <laughs> okay all right. Uh, we'll be back, folks, after this break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Sidebar. <laughs> anyway, he has been a loyal AT&T customer since 1960. Um, talk about brand loyalty. I don't know that we have that as much anymore uh, like that. Well, anyway. in 1960, that was the only game in town. So the only uh, internet service in 1960, right? Oh, well, yeah. That was the only internet you could get. 
Uh, so he's been a lawyer. I, I think they still did have the AOL CDs back then. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> yes. Where you get a hundred minutes for TV. Oh, you remember how excited? Thousand. You can get a thousand minutes, man. You got the wrong CD. I can remember getting one of those CDs like one month and be like, I don't know, 500 minutes. And then the next one was like, I was like, oh my gosh, they doubled the internet. Right. Uh, we were so. Uh, I had more AOL email addresses than anybody <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> you know, AOL still, you can still get an AOL address, email address, I think. Um, uh, I'll get right on that. I can't remember who has one. They sent me an email like, uh, is that vintage? Um, anyway, AT&T, loyal customer since 1960. Uh, he kept calling AT&T to talk about uh, faster internet speed. And they kept saying, it's coming, it's coming. Don't worry, don't worry. What blew him over is that he started seeing all these ads about you know the faster internet speed, da-da-da-da-da, getting new people to sign up and so on and so forth. And so he had enough and he decided to take an old fashioned way to solve a modern problem. He took out a newspaper ad in two editions of the Wall Street Journal, one in New York and one in Dallas, where AT&T headquarters is. Can you guess how much this man spent on his ads to complain about his slow internet? Thousands of dollars. How about $10,000? Yeah. That sounds light to me, honestly, but that's great. Yeah. To complain about slow internet. So he's in North Hollywood and they don't have like uh, Google fiber or well, giga have, power. He gave them something now because they put out the ads and he got direct responses. And not too long after that, they got faster internet in his neighborhood. And uh, I, I don't know that I have a follow up to see if it's fine or not, but. Um, Are we sure he wasn't on dial up? <laughs> no, man like you said this guy knows what he's doing he's matter of fact he says you know we've been at home all this year my wife and i we like to watch netflix and stream our movies and stuff so he knows what he's doing man he wants yeah. his fast internet and he is willing to pay ten thousand dollars to bark about it um i don't know if i'm willing to pay any much more than my monthly bill to bark about it quite frankly but uh, i'd rather just yeah. complain well, he couldn't go on Facebook and do it because everybody there is complaining and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the grumpy old man, right? Darn huh? internet users, get off my Wi-Fi. Get off of my virtual lawn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So I thought that was interesting. I, you know, there's a lot you could probably use that for and, and talk about later. But uh, anyway, if you're having slow internet, just take out thousands, thousands of dollars worth of advertisement in the newspapers and let AT&T know about it. That's all you got to do. <laughs> you got to do. So problem solved. All right. So speaking of high numbers, Wade, you know this. I know this. I'm hoping more people uh, know this and get this. But over the weekend, the U.S. surpassed half a million deaths related to COVID. And I think we just got to let that set in for a moment. It was crazy when we talked about going over 100,000 and then it was 200 and then we kept going and and then snowstorms and riots and insurrections kind of, you know, gave us something else to talk about and all the while now we are over 500,000 people dead because of 
the virus. Um, I don't know, man, when, when you see that number, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I don't really know, know how to wrap my, uh, wrap my head around that number, honestly. I mean, you know, I think about, um, you know, I, I, I guess the, the comparisons that I've seen have been comparisons to like deaths because of war or, or stuff like that. And, um, you know, and really we're, we're creeping up on some numbers that, um, you know, exceed some of our worst war deaths. We had, uh, I looked this up this morning, we had something like over 400,000 Americans died in World War II. Yeah. And so that was a war, right? And it stretched out over several years. Yep. And we're talking about a year max um, that we've lost 500,000 Americans. And, um, and, you know, and we, you know, don't, I don't, I, there's some of us that don't really seem to latch on to any of that. I mean, well, you probably still have some people who are like, well, that number is probably inflated, right? That it can't be that many. Okay. Let's say it's inflated. And it's maybe thousand, right? Let's say it's inflated, you know, a hundred or 50%. Maybe it's 50% of that. that that's two, say it's 250, which it's not, but right. I mean, how's that? Even yeah. Happen? I mean, on 9 11, yeah, 9 11, how many people we lose? It was like, I don't know, like, uh, I think it was around 3,000, wasn't it? Uh, I think just under, yeah, 29 something. 9 11, yeah, it was 29.77. Yeah. So, wait, obviously, you don't follow my Facebook. That's okay. I put something up this morning. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know who the person is. I'm pastor. He's a rev, apparently. Uh, and I just put a screenshot of his tweet this morning. It says 521,500 Americans were killed in war, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, both Iraq wars, and the war in Afghanistan combined. Combined. Wow. And here we are a year into the pandemic and 500,000 people. So I was listening to uh, a short podcast from NPR um, talking a little bit about this and talking about the, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is, if we could talk about this in a much lighter note, we could probably make some good jokes, but psychic numbing. Um, that's, that's the term that came out of this, um, uh, this podcast, which uh, comes from, uh, uh, what's his name, a psychologist named Paul Slovic. Um, and it talks about how we, as, as humans, we, don't seem to have the capability, at least by ourselves, um, to sort of handle these large numbers uh, and how to respond to them in a kind of hum humane way. And that you would think, you know, if, if one person dies, that's a big deal. And we say, oh man, one person died, we, you know, it's horrible. And you would think as that number increases, so would our empathy and so would our outrage or our willingness to help or to do things to you know correct a wrong if needs be whatever but as that number grows and grows what tends to happen is our empathy decreases and you know we we lose an ability to 
uh, show compassion and, and empathy as at large. So it's, in other words, like you said, like we have 500,000 people. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, how do I even wrap my mind around that? And so consequently, we kind of just by and large go about our day as if, you know, that number doesn't mean anything. So I, I sent you the, the deal, you had a chance to listen to it. What, uh, what would you think when you, you heard some of that? And I think we've already had some thoughts about that, this idea about psychic numbing. Well, I don't, you know, I had never heard that, um, heard that before today and uh, psychic numbing. Um, I, I, I get that. I, I think it's pretty clear that, um, that w as a society, we probably many of us, if not most of us have not internalized what that number means. Um, you know, the mere fact that people are willing to take a risk and, you know, go protest by not wearing a mask in a grocery store and, you know, and make a fuss about that, um, you know, tells me that we, we get some messed up priorities in our, in our society. You know, even if you don't believe that a mask is uh, effective, um, I mean, why would you, I mean, is, is that really, if you didn't, if you, if you had any inkling as to what those numbers represented in families, um, um, I don't think you would be so quick to do, you know, crazy risky things like, you know, have a New Year's Eve party or, you know, right. a block party or, you know, whatever. I mean, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But it makes me wonder, and that's kind of the point of... I don't know, you know. The kind of point to some of this is, it makes me wonder when you have people who do those kind of things, have you had anybody close to you suffer as a result of this? Have you had anybody close to you pass away as a result of this? And um, my inclination is to guess that no, they haven't, because if they had, maybe they'd be a little more compassionate and have a little more... Uh, willingness to you know, back up a little bit and you know kind of think about what you're saying and you know how this makes other people feel if you know uh, so I've had a conversation with you know some pastors who had churches you know their churches were kind of like no we're not closing and it's you know we don't need to da 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 and and I say well you know our church we had a couple people uh, that passed away from this and you know that kind of gives you pause uh, at, at the very least gives yeah. you pause right and so it's this idea that, you know, as the number grows, the number doesn't really mean too much to us because, you know, what are we going to do about it anyway, right? And, and instead of increasing our sincerity about, you know, let's get through this pandemic, let's, uh, and just using the pandemic as one example, this, uh, this is much has been written about this before in terms of how people respond to genocide, how people deal with, you know, all things, all kinds of uh, casualties, like you said, related to war and everything. I remember, I don't remember who it was reading once about how, you know, in the narrative, the birth story of Jesus, when, you know, Herod kills the babies, right? And, you know, when we hear that, I think a lot of us tend, Herod killed all the babies and, you know, oh my gosh, what is that? You know, a hundred thousand babies, how many babies are there? And somebody did a little kind of, you know, little research and guessed that, you know, maybe considering where it was and all that kind of stuff, population density and all that kind of all that kind of stuff that you know maybe that number was like you know 
I don't know, it was a low number, like 10 or 12, right? And then we're kind of like, oh, 10 or 12. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's right. 10 or 12. <laughs> why, why are we okay with saying, oh, it's not that big a deal then? Uh, yes, well. it's still 10 or 12 little babies, right? And so, you know, this, and how that doesn't always work the other way. You know, this, this should get us thinking more about how we can care for one another, how we can you know, make this better, how we can support each other, how we can get uh, everything we need to have done completed so that we can be on the other side of this. But that's not our, apparently that's not our human nature, brother. We, well, you know, and some of it's just, well, you know, Americans, we want what we want when we want it. Oh and, goodness, uh, yes. And so, um, so you're, I mean, you're, you want what you want when you want it. And that's kind of our, our default um, cultural standard, I think, um, you know, you should be able to get more of what you want when you want it. Um, if you have the means to do that and, uh, you know, and so we come into this place where everybody, you know, in order for this to work, everybody needs to take care of everybody else. So it's a kind of a, it's, you know, like a social contract that, that we all have to enter into. And, and to the degree that uh, we have people that are unwilling to, um, which seems like we have a lot this time um, that, uh, that we, we don't succeed. I see that um, about 25% of people um, in some poll I read yesterday, 25% of people in the United States will not get the vaccine. Well, we need to be between 65 and 75% vaccinated um according to cdc to be have herd immunity so and we've already got you know 75 percent or 25 percent if you say no in that same survey there were 25 percent that weren't sure yeah. and so i mean all of a sudden you know you're at you know if you go if you split that in half you're you're at 62 percent if everybody can get out and get it that wants to or that thinks it's okay and um you know, and as a, you know, somebody my age, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the vaccine, you know, from the get go, I've got, I've got polio's vaccine scar on my arm. And, um, and I've had every vaccine that I can think of. And so far, to my, to my knowledge, the government does not control me. Um, so not what they told me. Huh? Is that right? right? Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, this stuff is comical and I, you know, I don't know, there may be somebody watching this podcast today that thinks it's, you know, it's completely what I'm saying. It's like really controversial. And, uh, and for those of you who think that, then, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for, for you, but I'm sorry for the rest of us too. Well, and, and again, this is, you know, it's, it's tied to this idea. Okay. Well, how many people have to die for this to like open somebody's eyes, right? How many people have to endure uh, not just the death of it, but, you know, what they experience before they die? I mean, this is, I mean, people on ventilators for weeks, you know, and, and during all that, how many people have to go through that before we say, come on, y'all, let's, let's, let's live with a little more compassion? Well, it's more than a half million. It's going to be more than a half million, apparently. And, and I mean, the other number that you don't even know about, or I don't, and you don't think about is how many people have gone through this, survived, and, you know, still aren't right. Or, right. or you know, I talk to people who've had it, even, you know, people who are fine now, uh, are like, you don't want this. This is the worst thing I ever went through. 
Um, so how much, you know, how much, you know, sickness and trauma have, have people who didn't die gone through and, you know, how, how many of those folks got to endure all of this? I mean, how, we're, we're in the, I don't know how many, do you know how many cases we're at now? I mean, if we're getting, uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, I bet worldwide we got to be approaching close to a billion, maybe, I don't know. Um, what, I don't know what the number is. I don't think there is a number. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I think, I think the guy that, uh, in the podcast is right. I think, uh, we got to focus less on statistics and more on stories. Um, we need to hear more stories about the effects of this, not just on people who died, but on, you know, families that, families. you know, that are just, you know, it sometimes, you know, destroyed in some ways. Um, because, you know, this thing came along and um, we're not unique. I mean, there have been times in history where we've had, you know, plagues and epidemics and pandemics and people died. And, um, you know, my friend Harley, uh, who's an intern at my church, we ought to have him on here one time. He's super cool. Um, he, uh, his name is Harley. He's named after the motorcycle. And he was recently up in... Uh, uh, it was either Ohio or Wisconsin, wherever the Harley big facility is. And he went to the Harley Davidson Museum. And there is a picture of when the Harley Davidson factory opened, which is right during the picture was taken during the pandemic of what was it, 1919, 1920, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so it, it was very early in the history of Harley Davidson. And they had this picture of everybody at the factory and they all had masks on every one of them. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, we should be able to learn something from that. Shouldn't we? So many parallels uh, to that. And ma ma masks have never been high tech, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So worldometers.info, I don't know anything about their website. They tell me uh, 100, over 112 million coronavirus, coronavirus cases, 2.4 million deaths um, worldwide. So, I mean, wow. Wow. So we've got, yeah, you do the math. We've got a about a quarter of the deaths are in our country. And, you know, talking about your social contract, like you mentioned a while ago, I think it was New Zealand last week, uh, you know, they had been COVID free, they had you know, locked down and, you know, done all that stuff and blah, 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 and had reopened and everybody was happy. One family tested positive after that, and they all went on lockdown again, because it was yeah. family, but it was because this concern uh, for one another and the idea that, you know, we'll get through this when we get through this you know and um, yeah i mean it, it feels like from what i've read about new zealand in particular um is that not that you're forced to go on lockdown and you're going to get arrested that doesn't seem to be what the feeling is it's we're going on lockdown because we care about each other and we want our country to um, not suffer and um and that's a different mentality than for some of us here, you know, and, you know, and I don't even think I'm immune to that. I mean, you know, I probably most of the time um, when I'm walking back to my car after I forgot to put my mask on on the way into the grocery store, I'm probably in the back of my mind thinking this is a real pain in the neck. Mm. Um, I don't always think, hey, this is my way of serving my neighbor. Now, when I think about it sort of intellectually, or logically, 
in a, in a forum like this, that's an easy, you know, that's an easy jump to make. But um, I think in my day to day, you know, I don't know that my attitude's always all that great. I, I don't, I do not ever go anywhere without a mask and, and I won't be going. Um, but in my forgetfulness, when I remember, I think probably my default place is to say, this is really a pain. Well, and that's when it starts to uh, be an inconvenience to you or will you take part of it uh, or, mm-hmm. or some kind of consequence that you have to deal with, which right. seems to be, you know, that's where a lot of people have started. This could have, or maybe it already has some kind of consequence that I don't want. And we start with that instead of starting with the other part that this actually, actually has uh, uh, an impact on so many other people in ways that may be related to me. Uh, but in a lot of in a lot of times they're not. It's not uh, it's not just me that I'm going through this. But instead of starting with that, that this is something we're all dealing with, people are dying, blah blah blah. We start with this is why it bothers me, and I'm not going to settle for it. Instead of reversing that and catching yourself when you do that, instead of leading yourself. Yeah. So uh, well, and you know, I'm sitting here right now. I'm in Austin. Uh, I'm not in Corpus Christi because. Uh, my 82, almost 83 year old mom is in the hospital with pneumonia and COVID. And, uh, and I, and I know how careful they've been and she still got it. And so, um, and she's doing okay, but you know, uh, um, there is some fear and trepidation about all of this because, you know, we, we read that that disease can go South in a hurry. So, um, you know, so yeah, I bet for me, my, annoyance at masks is probably going to dissipate some um and uh close to it and to, and to me you know and for me that's a, that's a story that's a narrative that's a my mom's not a statistic she's my mom you know? yeah yeah so i got a, a reading from adam smith who this is from 1759 right so a lot radio of station i'm sorry 1759 is that a.m <laughs> <laughs> BC. Um, oh, so, you know, a lot of times, whoa. a lot of times we have these conversations now and there are people, with, you know, that this is all political and, you know, we're just trying to promote and gender, all this kind of stuff. But you and I, I think right now you called us a platform. Wow. Wow. That's, that's great way. We are a platform. I'm, Did I call us a platform? Did I say that? I think so. Oh no, you called us a forum. That's what you said. A forum. Oh, okay. Good. It sounds actually more um, astute. So thank you. For that you've done you're that. welcome anyway so i'm kind of a i'm kind of a studi <laughs> <laughs> okay <clears throat> i'm gonna get through this um uh, but anyway this has a connection to us has a faith connection because i mean this this matters to, to us uh I, I did a sermon on ash wednesday from the prophet isaiah um and you know we're talking about what kind of fast does god require and you know God tells the prophet to, to say, you know, this is what I require that you essentially, I'm going to paraphrase, obviously, if you care for each other, care for those in need, that that's a part of how you live out your life, that that's what God cares for, not your religious theatrics that you do just to get in good with God. And how this is a part of who we are, that we have to figure out, that we've got to say, you know, what can we do as church, uh, as the body of Christ to... Um, not just recognize this, but do something about it. So anyway, let me read, let me read this to you. It's from something called the theory of moral sentiment. He says, 
Let us suppose that the great empire of China, with all its myriads of inhabitants, was suddenly swallowed up by an earthquake, and let us consider how a man of humanity in Europe, who had no sort of connection with that part of the world, would be affected upon receiving intelligence of this dreadful calamity. He would, I imagine, first of all, express very strongly his sorrow for the misfortune of that unhappy people. He would make melancholy reflections upon the precariousness of human life and the vanity of all the labors of man, which could thus be annihilated in a moment. He would too, perhaps, if he was a man of speculation, enter into many reasonings concerning the effects which this disaster might produce upon the commerce of Europe and the trade and business of the world in general. And when all this fine philosophy was over, when all these humane sentiments had been once fairly expressed, he would, he would pursue his business or his pleasure, take his repose or his diversion with the same ease and tranquility as if no such accident had happened. So in 1759, he's describing the same thing that you and I are talking about today, um, where we hear this 500,000 people, and it's kind of like, man, maybe we should do something about that, you know? But then we just kind of go on about our day as if nothing has really happened. And so as a church, learning how to, um, as, as Einstein put it, what did I, I wrote it down, he say, how to widen our circle of compassion how can we, as the church, widen our circle of compassion so that when we hear these numbers like this, um, we learn to reflect on the, the reality that there are lives behind the numbers? How do we as a church, Wade, increase or widen our circle of compassion? Well, I'm, you know, I think... Uh... I think we, you know, we kind of do what we're supposed to do as a church. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that most of our churches have a pretty wide, wide circle of compassion uh, to begin with. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's loving our neighbor. It's, you know, having eyes to see where people are hurting or broken or grieving and, and, uh, you know, um, I, you know, the thing I've, I experience in churches a lot is that we're more interested in what's going on in our, in our church than sometimes we are in other things going around the, around the world. I, I don't have very many arguments or um, upheaval in the church that have to do with serving people. It always has to do with, you know, how do we, you know, what color is the the carpet going to be or you know who's in charge of this or who's offended by this other person on this committee or whatever it is um that seems to be where the most dramatic things happen uh in serving a church and i would rather the dramatic things be hey we you know we really made a difference in somebody's lives or we got to really watch somebody transform and we were a part of that and um so i you know i think it's I think it's the thing that we try to do and we try to teach and, uh, you know, you know, and it's not, it's not a place that you get to. Um, it's a, it's a process. Uh, I think we call that something like sanctification in, in the church. And, um, it's just, I think tuning your heart into something, um, 
different than the rest of the world might be tuned into. Um, you know, um, I think our, you know, our society is tuned into how do we beat this pandemic? Well, what's my political position about that? Am I still um, happy, overjoyed and overwhelmed by the election or am I still mad and I'm trying to whatever? Uh, rather than, uh, can we tune into what's going on around us? You know, um, my church can't fix what's going on in, you know, New York or Washington, D.C. or whatever, but we can, we can deal with what's around us. And, uh, um, you know, I had an experience last week, I preached about it yesterday, um, where I was driving back and forth from my house to the church on Alameda, Oh, two, two to four to six times a day checking on the church, even though we weren't, nobody was there, but it was, you know, we were waiting for a pipe to bust or something. And, uh, uh, uh my, uh, Terry, Terry, my, uh, ex-wife, um, she, uh, was staying with us, uh, because her house was worse off than we were. And she said, Hey, you think we could take some hot food to that lady over on the bus bench? And I'm like, what lady, what bus bench? it's the one in Alameda right there by uh, uh, H-E-B. And I'm like, I, I haven't seen her. Well, she's been there for three days in a, in, in a sleeping bag and, and hadn't moved. So we took food over there and, you know, I felt like an idiot. I hadn't seen her at all. Because mm. uh, I was focused on what? What was down the street yeah. that needed to be taken care of. And, and she, needed the, she needed more immediate care than, than my church building did. Yeah. And church, you hear people talk about, let's pray for those in need. And that's a great prayer. But right. what happens often is that we, we neglect those in need who are sitting right next to us in church. Um, it's easier to talk about than it is maybe easier to spot, to recognize, or maybe even to do something about. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are. So uh, just kind of in, in closing, if we're, if we're trying to make sense uh, of, of what our church's mission is and uh, making disciples and, and caring for the spiritual and whole well-being of people. You know, um, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's you know, people who, who do not have a home, whether it's abuse, whether it is lack of food or other basic resources, I mean, the needs that people have, I mean, those are real people, real people of God and church, we're called to be that, that people that, that cares, right? And the numbers mean something, right? But they also, um, we can't get lost in the numbers and just think like there's nothing we can do. There's, there's, there's a number we can always, um, we can always uh, acknowledge and that's the one that's in front of us, right? There's an old book, yeah. you can't do everything, you do something. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and try to, you know, I, whenever I see this stuff reported in the news, it's 500,000 deaths. Well, those are 500,000 people. Those are 500,000 lives. Those are 500,000 souls. Um, those are 500,000 individuals who were, um, if we believe what we believe about God loving us, um, he loved them too. And um, each of us may not have lost anyone. Uh, we may not know somebody who died, but um, each of those people have people who do. And, and, you know, and God lost 
500,000 children this year, just to that, not including everything else. And right. so um, if we're going to love God, you know, I believe that God, when we cry or when we grieve, I believe God grieves as well. And, and you know, God's had to do a lot more grieving than any of us this year. Um, and, uh, and, and if God grieves, I think, you know, we should be grieving uh, proportionately if we can. And mm-hmm. so um, whatever that looks like for you, um, if it, you know, if it means praying or, or serving or, or going deeper in your own faith and, um, but yeah, I think you're right. Do something. Don't, you know. I, I use it as a sermon illustration from time to time. You know, our world's favorite Bible verse is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he did something. Right. And that's what it comes down to. So, all right. Well, uh, either way, as we think about our, our response as a church and, um, you know, as, as people of God, you know, what it is that we can do to help each other. I mean, still looking at that number, 500, half a million people in one year because of one thing. Um, it's heartbreaking, right? And, and we need to make our, uh, give ourselves time to grieve and, and space to talk about you know, how that impacts our walk with God and, and how we see the world. So, uh, good stuff, Wade. Um, see, we, we didn't need Tom or Brad after all. Them or their, their tight legging that they, that they had. All right, I'm going to give you one thing to look forward to, and then we're going to get out of here. What's that? I'm going to give you one thing to look forward to, and then we're out of here. Have you had a Chick-fil-A sandwich before? Uh, I, you know, I don't eat sandwiches because they have bread on them. Oh, I do have, I, I will go get a Chick-fil-A, spicy chicken filet. Yes. Okay. That, that's it. That just being it. And, uh, okay. that, that pretty much makes my day right there. So there's, there's the chicken sandwich from, uh, or the chicken filet from Chick-fil-A. Then there's the one from Popeye's, which is great. Uh, there are a few others that have responded, but coming soon. Yeah. Taco Bell enters the chicken sandwich wars with a taco version of a chicken sandwich. That's all I'll say. Friends, thank you for tuning in. If there's ever anything you want us to talk about to try to find a Christ-like response to, let us know. Call us. Leave us a message. Uh, Next week, we'll be back, and we'll see what we talk about. But until then, Wade, I appreciate your time. Uh, Hope all is well. Continue to pray for you and your family. Thanks for wisdom and input. And everybody else, thanks for tuning in. God be with you. Take care, man.